friends and guests that come weekly uh, need socks, they need toques, they need uh, travel size toothpaste, shampoo, those kinds of things. Did I miss anything, Gordy? Toothbrushes and gloves. So uh, I'd like you to start putting uh, aside. You can designate in the offering and say chili wagon shoebox if you if you. Uh, I was going to say too lazy. If you don't have time to go and buy those things yourself. Um, uh, and what I'd like to do is, you know that prayer meeting we're having on the 10th of November. If you could fast, uh, if you're able to physically do this, fast at least one meal. And the money that you normally would have spent on that meal, just set it aside for the chili wagon shoebox. And that'll be one way we can just start accumulating for uh, the chili wagon. It's going to be a great, great Christmas time. All right, well, it's, it's so wonderful to have Tri and Nancy here. They are such a blessing. Uh, they pastor, have pastored a great church in uh, Boise, Idaho for many, many years, uh, since 1989, I believe. And um, uh, about seven years ago, and some of you have heard the story already, uh, Tri and Nancy entered into a process with their youth pastor to begin to prepare for that youth pastor to become the senior pastor of their church. And uh, this next weekend... That will become official. And Try and Nancy will stay on staff at the church and serve uh, as, as, as missions uh, directors. And he'll probably tell a little bit of the story. But I thought it was just such a wonderful model. And they shared out of that story this week very powerfully and, and effectively, I think, ministered to our, our British Columbia region. And um, Trevor came as well. Trevor had to go back early. It was great to hear his side of the story. But I can tell you, Try and Nancy, uh, you know, some people will say, well, tell us in a year how that worked, you know, after you're, you're on staff and serving this, this younger guy. But I know it's going to work by what I've watched oh, this weekend. I, that's just not even the question. Just watching the way they interacted and the dynamic was just amazing. So we're very honored. I mean, they could have gone to a lot of churches in the valley, and, and they, they agreed to come and visit us here in the hood. And we're blessed. And uh, I want you to give a warm Vancouver welcome to Try Robinson. Come on, Try. Bless you. Let me pray over you. Lord, thank you for these gifts that you give to the body of Christ. And just uh, uh, empower Try. Let him just be at home with us today. And again, empower us to listen and receive, Lord, as you speak through him today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Gordy. Well, I love you guys already. I'll tell you that. Um, this has been rich. I, I've just loved the feeling of this place and the, the feeling of family that's here. And, you know, one thing that we're really promoting I, and all around is, is what we call multi-generational church, which is all ages working together as one, old and young. And, and uh, I saw that so powerfully here already today. I, I love your honesty as well. I, uh, I love Gordy's honesty as he talked about seasonal change. I guess we all face that a little bit. Uh, it's hard after you've had this beautiful summer to know you're going into this long season of darkness. I mean, no, no Christian really likes darkness, you know. Um, but uh, to, to see that, just the openness to say, yeah, you know what, I'm struggling and... and uh, I, I'm honest about it because without honesty, you know, we really go nowhere. And I think in, in so much of our religiosity, we try to put on a good face all the time and, and tell everybody we're fine and we're full of faith and, you know, 
And we never get anywhere really like that. I, 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 lo- I really loved it this, this morning as we opened with Psalm 126 and, and, you know, that whole concept of, you know, we go out and we, we're sowing seed uh, with tears and weeping. But we come back after that and we reap this harvest of joy and, uh, and, and what that produces in us. And I, you know, there's one thing that um, those of us who have been around and, uh, a long time and working with people to the depth that you guys have here and we have in Boise, uh, you know that um, it seems like in the kingdom of God it's, it's kind of like no pain, no gain. You know, I mean, God uses suffering. He uses um, diversity and or, um, he uses uh, uh, just our, our struggles and problems, our pain. Uh, that's where the seeds seem to take root the most. I, I wrote a book uh, not long ago called Rooted in Good Soil, and based on the parable of the sower, he went out and sowed seed, and uh, seed fell on th- four kind of soil conditions, hard, rocky ground, you remember this, and then the, you know, then there was the, the uh, well, the hard ground, the, the rocky ground, and the thistle-filled ground. And, um, and, it, it, and the seed never really lasted there. But when it fell into the good soil, it, it produced this, this great harvest of 30, 60, and 100-fold. And, and uh, the book really is based on good soil. Like, if, you know, we need to know what happens in good soil. And one of the first characteristics is that uh, good soil is, is enriched soil, which generally means it's, it's full of, you know, cow manure and garbage. That's good compost, you know, rotten material. That's what makes good soil, and that's where the, the seed seems to do the best in, in, the, in, the, in that dark place at times. You know, it's, it's, it's buried, it goes under, uh, and I think that a lot of times in our faith, we, we don't like those times. We want to grow quickly. We want to sprout up quickly, as it did in some of these other soil conditions, and get going, get moving, you know, and get on with this program, but uh, um, honestly, God, God does a deep work in our lives uh, through tribulation. And, uh, you know, there's, there's passages in Scripture, because I, I always had this idea when I was going to come to Christ, this was quite a long time ago, actually, uh, that, you know, everything was going to be perfect after that, you know, because that was sort of the promise in, in the era that I came to Christ. It's like, that at that point, your whole life is perfect, your marriage is perfect, your kids grow up, they love Jesus, everything's, you know, and, um, I was pretty disappointed, actually, to find out that um, that wasn't particularly the, the case. I, I found out that, uh, actually, and sometimes it, things got worse, uh, you know, for a while. But out of it came this joy in my life, a richness and a depth that I don't think I could have ever gotten any other way than, than experiencing God in the midst of the tribulation of life and the realness of life. Uh, but I also remember in those days reading, you know, some of these, these passages in Scripture, uh, especially this one in James. I go, what in the world is this doing in the Bible, you know? Uh, I'm sure you're pretty familiar with it. James chapter 1, I'll start in verse 2, uh, where it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Now there, you, you know, that, all of that kind of confused me. But first of all, you know, consider it joy when, you know, really the, you know, the compost, which is basically, you know, animal manure, you know, when all that comes upon you, consider that, consider that with joy, knowing that it's going to test your faith, that it's going to produce endurance, and that endurance is going to have its perfect result. You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You're going to come into this victorious life with Christ out of it. But then it talks about this faith thing. So you have to ask God. He's going to give you wisdom, and you have to ask Him, but you have to ask Him in faith. But it has to be absolute faith. You, you know, otherwise, if, if, if you're doubting, you know, it, then it's going to be like the shifting sand. And, and I go, boy, uh, I better not really be honest right now, you know, because there are times when I am in the middle of the manure of life, and uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to put on a good face. I'm trying to say the right things. But in my heart of hearts, I'm really honestly wondering, can God get me out of this? Have you, have you ever? Well, I won't ask her raise her hands. Yeah, there you go. Because the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, you know, I, I need to cultivate faith so that I could actually say this. Because I'll tell you, there's times when things are going really rotten in my life. And I want to. I, I want to walk in, in steady faith that God is really going to get me out of this and really get me through this and get me to the other side of this. But it's pretty tough sometimes to, re, to really stand in that. And faith is something that's cultivated in our life. It's something that comes in the journey. And so when we come to Christ at first and we hear these things and we feel immediately, I did, con- convicted, actually almost condemned because... And when I was around other Christian people, especially in those days where everybody was sort of name it and claim it faith, um, I was embarrassed actually to say that I, I had doubt. I, uh, I was suffering. I was, I was struggling. And, uh, but over the course of time, and some of this we just have to almost learn on our own, don't we? Because uh, nobody's really telling us the truth about this all the time, you know? Because I want faith. Faith that's built on hope. You know, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. You know, that's interesting, you know. It's, and, the, and the substance of, of things unseen. Now, think about that. You know, faith is the assurance. That's like assurance. That's solid. It's assurance. I'm assured. I know. That's assurance. It's a scientific fact or something. So that's solid. It's the assurance of things hoped for. So assurance is tangible and it's solid, but hope is intangible. So it's the assurance of something that I still need to develop in my life. You know, it's the substance. Substance. That's like solid substance of the things that are unseen. No wonder faith is hard. You know what I mean? It's this, it's, this, it's this battle between what we're assured of, but yet what we aren't 
totally under, what we yet don't totally understand. And the only way we, th we can actually come into the understanding of it is just walk it out, walk it out, walk it out tenaciously with endurance through those hard times, always looking to Jesus. And here's the thing. You come through it once, you know, and you, and you go, wow, Jesus was there. And, and God's people were there. And, you know, what, and this, you know the, the provision was there. Whatever it was, I got through this. It was true. And then the next time, it's a little easier. It's not quite so, you know, it's not quite such an unstable feeling time because you have that assurance now because you have, you, 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 you have something tangible to hang on to. Last time I went through trials in my life, in the midst of it, God taught me a lot of stuff about myself. He actually built my faith, and he was there. Ultimately, he was there. And then I can get through better and easier the next time. I want to take you to Romans 5. It's another passage, very similar, actually. Romans 5. Uh, and I'm going to pick up in uh, the second part here, verse 3. There's a lot of theology in the first part. I just want to you can, you can go struggle through that. But it really talks about God's grace and his mercy on our, on our lives. And then he says that we, also, uh, we also exalt in our tribulations. Tribulations means trouble. And by the way, remember what Jesus said. He said, he pro it was actually a promise. He said, in this life, there will be tribulation. But he says, then fear not, because I'll be with you. So there's the, there's the two sides of it. You can be guaranteed of one thing. In this life, you're going to have trouble. You know, there's no perfect world. So that's, that's a promise. But fear not. I'll be there with you always. And that's also a promise. And so we're working through these two dynamics in our life constantly as we walk through this journey saying, how does this work? And it's confusing at times. And it's, there's times where it's gray around us and we can't quite see. We're like in this fog. And so we have nothing to lean on now in those moments and times of confusion and frustration. There's nothing to lean on except a promise that God makes to us that he's going to be there with us and that his word is true and that we are going to get through. And, he, and in the end, we're going to come out with joy. You know, and in, even in harvest. Amen. And so here we have, uh, and, and um, uh, we also exalt in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings perseverance, similar to what uh, James said. And the perseverance uh, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because the love of God has been, has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit uh, who was given to us. So there's this, this process that, that Paul is laying out for us that takes us ultimately to this place of incredible hope that never disappoints. You know, it's the face of the assurance of things hoped for. We come to that place where our hope becomes real. That, that belief. Now, what we're hoping for, ultimately, is that, that this is true. Because if this is true, it's good news. That's why it's called good news. Because this will bring to us maturity, endurance, where we aren't like those plants that, 
you know, kind of sprout up and fade away. So many, I've watched that so much in the church. You know, I call it a hot flash. There's some people, some people here know what that means, a hot flash, in my generation. Uh, uh, but a hot flash, it's, and, but what we're looking for is a long, slow burn. You know, something that just keeps burning and burning and burning throughout our whole life. That God, the, the love of God is just burning in our hearts through our whole life until we finally come to the end of this life and enter into the fullness of what God has to us even in eternity. You know, one time um, when I was, actually before I met Nancy, in fact, we aren't 45, but we're 42 years now. Uh, we just celebrated our 42nd wedding anniversary. So that's pretty good. Not the record in the room, but, um, but it was pretty good. And, uh, and before I met Nancy, uh, um, I, I uh, was on a college campus. I was trying to get my uh, commercial pilot's license. I was thinking about being a, a commercial pilot um, at the time. And I had to build up hours of flying hours, you know, and so, uh, and I, but I didn't have a whole lot of money. So, but I was in Idaho, and where things were pretty inexpensive, and um, especially in those days. And uh, I went out. Uh, I was renting airplanes so I could build up hours flying around, you know, because you have to have so many hours. You had to have 700 hours to get a commercial. Uh, I think maybe it was 300 hours in those days, but it was a lot of hours be, be flying an airplane. Very expensive, even in those days, uh, because you had to rent planes and put fuel in them and, you know, an hour cost quite a bit of money. And so I, I went down to this one old airport where there's a, it was a crop duster strip. And there was an old, old, old 1944 J3 airplane uh, on the side of this thing that was, had a for sale sign on it. I thought that would be very cool. $1,200 for this airplane. Well, not today it wouldn't be that. But uh, now that same airplane is actually flying around in an air museum right now. But... Uh, uh, not to my benefit, but uh, as soon as Nancy and I had children, uh, Nancy decided flying was too risky for her, for me to be flying. And so there went the airplane. But I had a lot of fun for a while. And uh, so I had this old plane, this old airplane, an old 1944 J3 Cub, uh, old Piper Cub. And it, it's, it, you, you sit one behind the other. It flew with a stick. Had a, it had a couple of instruments in it. And sometimes they even worked, you know. But one thing it did have, it had an altimeter and an airspeed, and that's pretty much what you needed. And there was a little sign on the, on the kind of the firewall, like where all the instruments were right there. There was a little sign there that I never could totally understand. It says, do not exceed 14,000 feet on this thing. And now I'm 21 years old, see. You give me a sign like that, and uh, i got to find out why. Yeah, so... <laughs> So, so anyway, I had a roommate in college. We were over, in, we were, I was, we were down in Idaho, and it was just big rural land, you know, just open rural land with mountains. We were in a valley with mountains on both sides and a river running through the middle, the Snake River. And, uh, and so one morning, it was very cold. Airplanes love cold air. They, they have better lift in the cold. The molecules are closer together, and they, they fly better, and uh, especially old planes like this. And so one cold morning, we get out, uh, and it's a beautiful morning, crisp morning, we go, get out and decide to go flying this one morning. And I'm jumping in this airplane, and we fire this thing up. You used to have to prop it. You, it couldn't stop it for inside. You had to go outside and pull the prop down, you know, and, it, you know, and uh, get the thing all warmed up, and we, we take off. It had no heater in it either, so we'd like, have to bundle all up. And anyway, we were flying, and boy, this thing, because it was such a crisp, cold morning, uh, and it's funny because I had named my airplane, 
after my sister, who had been named after my grandmother, who was named Hope. And uh, so, anyway, uh, uh, I, uh, I had the name Hope written on the plane. That's what makes me think about this scripture right here, because it's all about hope. And so, anyway, I get, I get in this plane, and I start... I, I'm flying, and boy, this thing's just like flying. It's like, it's just gaining altitude more than ever normally because the, of the, the density of the air, because it's so cold. And, and it's just going up and up and up. And it's just like, I'm at, all of a sudden, I'm at 10,000 feet. And then the, the ground was about 2,500 feet. So I don't know if you know feet. We do feet. And it's always a problem. So anyway, uh, uh, so I'm going up, and uh, I'm, I'm climbing up. And pretty soon, I am like at 12,000 feet. And there is a bank of clouds that have been moving in over the West Mountains. Beautiful, beautiful kind of puffy clouds that have come in and created this shelf of cloud over one half of the valley. And I'm going up and I'm circling. You know, I'm just kept circling. It just kept going up. And my roommate goes, man, we're really high. It says there you shouldn't go over 14,000 feet. We're at 13,000 feet now. And I go, I know. Let's, let's see if we can make it go over 14,000 feet. And he goes, yeah. So we get up, and pretty soon at 14,000 feet, we're actually above this cloud layer. And we're looking down. It's beautiful because the sun is coming across. And it's, I don't, you've probably been up in a, in a plane or an airliner, and you, you get above, you break up above the clouds, and you see it's just like you're in another world up there. You know, it's like, you, you're just, it's like a whole other world, like mountains and valleys, and it's gorgeous, and the sun, the sun is shining across this, this thing. And I thought, you know, if we get, we're like at 13.5, and I'm thinking it won't climb anymore. I said, you know, if we get over the top of these clouds, maybe we could catch a little more updraft, and we could, we could go a little higher. Now, you've got to remember, there's no instruments in this airplane, which means you do not fly in clouds. Because if you fly in clouds, you don't know if you're upside down, right side up. There's no way of knowing. It's called vertigo. And it's very dangerous, and many people die from that. And so, anyway, we get up above it. I say, well, it's no problem, because we can see up here. And all of a sudden, we're flying, and it's like, I feel like I'm in heaven, you know? And I get to 14,000 feet, well, 13,900 feet. And everything's going so great. We're over the top of these clouds, 14,000 feet. Seriously, I'm not joking. Boom. The engine just stops and the prop, the prop just quits. And I'm going, I'm, I'm up here above this cloud. I have no engine. And, um, and I turn the plane around and I look and I realize that it's too far over. Can you picture this? It's too far to get back over the edge of those clouds to where I can, in other words, there's no way to get down. I'm gliding now, and it could glide, but, I, but it, was glide, it was dropping faster. I could see I was not going to make it over the edge of those clouds. I was going to be in those clouds with total vertigo, and I was terrified. Now, I'm more wrapped up in this. Um, my, my father, who's still alive, he, was a, he, was, he flew off of aircraft carriers in, in the Pacific uh, uh, in the South Pacific during World War II, he was a, he was a uh, flew a torpedo bomber, uh, out in the Marshall Islands, and and um, so he was he had he'd actually been a bush pilot in Alaska. He'd actually had done his soloing as a young man in a J three Cub on skis in Fairbanks, Alaska. So he he was he was a pilot, and he always used to tell me things, you know, and I. I was up there, I'm on top of this, in this situation, I knew that it was over. 
I knew that if I could not get this engine moving, and I couldn't because, you know, you have to get outside to start it. The only hope was to dive the thing to get, the, to get it propelling, but I had carburetor ice. I didn't really realize it, I guess. But I remember him telling me something uh, like a couple of years before. And his words came back to me in that moment. Words that actually ended up potentially saving my life. And he, he told me this. He said, you know, if you ever get above clouds and you have to come down through clouds, I don't know why he told me this, probably because I was 21 he thought I needed a little wisdom. Uh, but he said, if you ever get above clouds and you, get, and you lose your engine or you have to come down through the clouds, don't ever try to fly through the crowd, clouds. You, you will end up upside down, inside out. He said, so what you have to do is you have to pull your plane into a, a, a very scary maneuver called a spin. And a spin basically is turning your airplane into what is very similar to a leaf falling through the air. And the way you do that is you pull it into a dive until all of the airfoil is broken off of your wings and literally the airplane will start falling out of the sky. And what you do then is you pull the, you pull the stick back into your lap. In, in another airplane, it would be the yoke. You'd pull the wheel back. But the stick, in this case, you had to pull it into your lap, hold it in your lap, and push one rudder all the way over as it stalls. And the airplane will turn over and go into a nosedive, but it will start spinning like this. And, 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 but it, the one thing about a spin is if it holds in that attitude, it will never build up too much airspeed that it'll tear the wings off. And it will always stay in that attitude. So he says, if you ever get in this situation, you pull, it, you pull your plane into a, do, into a climb until it, it loses altitude totally and starts falling, and then you pull it into the spin maneuver, and you stay in the spin all the way through the clouds. When you come out the bottom of the clouds, you can right the airplane and you can fly again. And I remembered those words, the words of the Father. I took it as a promise. <laughs> the promise of the Father. Now, my roommate, he was a non-believer in my father. I mean, he didn't know anything about fly- flying, and he'd never heard that promise before. And he was terrified, especially when I c- pulled this thing into a dive and the thing started falling out of the sky. And he started screaming at me, actually hitting me on the back. because <laughs> what are we doing? What are you doing? I mean, he never had been in a spin before. I had. So I understood that part. And we, and we were going down, and all of a sudden, we entered into the cloud itself. Now, I was in this cloud, and I tell you, uh, and I know maybe you've flown through a cloud in an airplane before. You know you can't see a foot. It's like a deep, deep, dense fog. You don't know where you are. You don't know... If you're right side up, upside down, inside out, you don't know. The only thing that you, I, could, I could bank on was the fact that my father's promise was true and I was still in a spin. I was still in this one attitude. And so I was spinning through the clouds, and I don't know if you've ever had an experience when you're in the middle of a trial in your life, you know, a minute can seem like eternity, You think you're never going to get out of this situation because everything around you is gray and it's mixed up and you're you're confused and you're disoriented. It might be a financial crisis. It might be that you've just just gotten some really bad news about health issues. I don't know what it is. It might be a a, a family member dying or or maybe has died. And, And all of a sudden you find yourself in this situation where you're disoriented. You've never been there before. 
You don't know what's going on around you. And, and you feel so incredibly helpless, you don't know where to turn except one place, and that is to the promise of the Father. Lord, you said you would get me through this. And you said that I could sow seeds in weeping, but you would bring me out the other side in joy. You said that my trial, as, as I lean on you and trust in you and believe in you as I go through this trial... that it'll develop endurance and character in my life as I, in the end, learn that you really were there and your word was true. So we were spinning and we were spinning and we were spinning and my roommate's screaming, which happens a lot of times when you're in trial. People that are closest to you are yelling at you, telling you you're crazy. And it seemed like an eternity. And start, on, on my imagination started playing with my mind. Maybe I'm not in a spin. Maybe this cloud goes all the way to the ground. Maybe the mountains, maybe I have flown so far that now I'm over the mountains and the mountains have come up into the cloud. I mean, all these imaginations, all this thinking, everything in me wanted to say, fly this plane on your own, under your own power, Stop this thing. Stop believing that. Lie. But try to fly it on your own power. And, and there's this incredible battle that goes on in our human nature to do this thing, get through this trial on our own power or actually trust God for it. I'm telling you, this is why this builds character. This is why it builds endurance. This is why it builds perseverance. This is why, in the end, you come out with great hope much better hope, and your faith rises for the next event. Because there will be another one. And we spun and we spun and it seemed like an eternity. And I, I, Again, if you've ever flown and you're coming in and you're breaking down through clouds, sometimes you're kind of looking out the window and you see a whiff and you see the ground for a moment and then it closes up again. I don't, I don't know if you ever had that experience, but you kind of like hit a little spot. You could kind of see the ground. And, and you know, I remember that moment when all of a sudden I just got a quick glimpse and I could see for a second, I could see the Snake River below me. I knew there was ground between me and the cloud. And I knew that I wasn't over the mountains. And I had that hope revived in me. And then it closed up again. And then it opened again. And then I broke out the bottom. It was an amazing thing, too. When I broke out of the bottom, I let the stick go. I let it relax. I, I righted the rudders on the airplane, and the plane righted itself. And the engine started. And then my roommate says, hey, let's go do that again. <laughs> now he was a believer, see? I said, no, you know, I'm gonna test, I don't want to test God. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us.
you know, through it, we begin to trust in the love of the Father. We begin to understand the fact that He really does love us and that He really is there for us. And the more we go through the tribulations of life, the more our hope is built. But I'll tell you, it takes time to trust God in in all honesty. It takes time. It doesn't happen quickly a lot of times. That's why we can't give this this journey with God up easily. Because many of us have been... I had a good father. He gave me a good promise. You know what I mean? And I can, I can translate that easily into my, into my walk with God. But there's many people that can't. They didn't have good fathers. Their fathers, they couldn't trust them. In fact, they don't really trust anybody. So how could you trust God? I'll tell you one more story. A number of years ago, uh, I live, Nancy and I live on a farm and in, in my normal daily routine, I always get up before dark, and I um, I go out and I, I put on my you know farm stuff. I walk out in the morning. I, it, it, I right now we have one little golden lab Labrador dog, but we used to have two, uh, and uh, an older one and a young one, and and they would go. They would get so excited every morning. They jump, you know. They'd just be so excited, it's like like you know. The big deal of the day, we get to go out to the barn. You know, I don't know why it's a big deal, but we, but we go out, and I'd go out, and it was dark. You know, and I, I, I knew the way so well. I never took a flashlight hardly. And, and uh, one morning, I was walking out to the barn, and all of a sudden, as I approached the door in the dark, there's sliding doors on this barn. Uh, as I approached the sliding doors of this barn, my two dogs got so excited they wanted in that barn really bad. And uh, I go, hmm, something's in the barn. And it's not just horses, you know. There's something they really want to meet, you know. And so I, I open the door, and I, the dogs just about knock me down to go through this little crack in the door. As I open it, they, like, run through my legs. They run inside the dog's door, and I hear all this ruckus and moke, and I'm walking through the darn door trying to feel for a light switch on the wall. And finally, I flip on the light, and as I do, here are my two dogs standing kind of almost paralyzed in the floor of the barn, and this cat... This big cat um, is kind of walking. You know how a cat can kind of walk through your legs, you know, and just kind of rub up against your legs sometimes? And this big cat is doing that to my two dogs who really wanted to chase this cat. But he did not give them the privilege because he just, like, he just wouldn't run. And they didn't know what to do. And I came in and I saw this cat, and when I came in, the cat jumped up on a bale of hay and kind of hid from me, but he wasn't afraid of the dogs. He made immediately friends with this dog and did, never went away. And every day I'd go out to the barn, and this cat was somewhere in the barn, and I would watch him. He'd be all, you know, my dogs could do anything with this cat. They, they, they loved him. But for me, he, he didn't love me. He didn't trust me. I don't think that some human probably hadn't been very nice to this cat, and and uh, yeah, I, I never could get close enough to it to find out if it was a male or female cat. So I called it Pat. <laughs> if you've ever watched Saturday Night Live years ago, you'll know that. So I called this cat Pat. And Pat uh, lived two places. He, 
he would live, the, cat, the dogs loved to play with it, but it was, always, it was always kind of play, you know. And he would always run to get away from them. He would run into a, a pipe, a drain pipe, out in the barnyard. I have a picture of it here. And, 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 and so that was like Pat's home. And, you know, and never, he would never come to the house, though. He would stay in the barn, and eventually he'd let me kind of get near him and pet him and, and uh, a little bit. Because I would feed him every day. I started feeding him in the barn. He became somewhat of a friend, but distant. He never really trusted me. Well, a number of years later, this went on for five years. And all, uh, Nancy's going one day to, to a feed store. And in a feed store, um, the particular feed store we have, a lot of times people will bring in ducks and rabbits and cats that they want to get rid of. And they put them in these cages so that people could come in and even get them for free. Well, then there's one cage. She's walking by one day, and all of a sudden, this little hand reaches out and grabs her on the side. And she looks down, and it says, little, this little Siamese kitten with its sister, which both ended up coming home. <laughs> she calls me and said, well, I couldn't just take one. They're like, they need each other, right? So all of a sudden, we have these two cats, which eventually we gave one of the two away because uh, they grew up and didn't need each other so much. And, but we did keep this one little cat. His name was Max. And we'd never really had a house cat before, actually. We were living on a farm. We, mostly the cats were outside all the time, catching mice and what cats are supposed to do. And, uh, but Max, that was different. Max, like, became this major lover because he was raised in the love of Nancy's and my home. And so he'd come and he'd lay on my lap in the morning when I'm doing my devotions, a little Siamese cat. And he, you know, he and I became good friends. Whoa, 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 that's not the picture yet. Okay, just a minute. Hold off on that picture. So, one day, finally Max grows up to the point where he can go out, you know, and, and roam around and start hunting like a cat should and normally does. And uh, he finds his way to the barn. And eventually, Max runs into Pat. Now, I thought this could really be bad. I thought Pat would probably just be, you know, who knows, he's a barn cat. And uh, I didn't know what was going to happen, but Max did the same thing to Pat that Pat had done to the dogs. He befriended him right away, and he brings, one day, all of a sudden, Nancy's looking out, and Pat the cat, for the very first time, is standing outside the door with Max when Max wants to come in to get, to get fed. And so she feeds him outside the door, and he, he likes that, like real cat food, you know, like canned cat food. He goes, hmm. There's a different world Max has than I have. <laughs> and all of a sudden, after about a week, he comes in and he's, he, he eats with Max at the kitchen sink. But he sees us and he kind of runs under the table or under the stove until we let the door out and he'd run out because he was never really, he never really fully trusted us and specifically didn't trust me. And one morning I was doing my devotions. I was sitting in a chair every morning. I sit in my chair and for some reason Max hadn't found my lap yet. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and I, I feel this thing on my shoulder, and I'm looking back, thinking it's Max the cat, when all of a sudden, Pat walks over the top of my shoulder, down into my lap, curls up, and lays in my lap. And that's this picture. It took probably five to six years before Pat came to a place that he would trust me and literally would find his way to the lap of the master. And now he's there every morning. 
Trust takes time. Especially if you've been abused in your life, if you've been hurt, if you've been rejected, if you've been abandoned. It's hard to come to this place where you could actually come to a place of actually allowing the Father to love you. That you could literally lay in his lap and feel his love and trust the fact that he's not going to ever do anything to hurt you but only wants the best for you. That's the end product of hope because that is the hope because that's the relationship God wants to have with you now and for eternity. Let's, let's stand. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you just come and meet us in this reality and this truth. And Father, for those that are in the room here this morning that have found themselves in the darkness and the confusion of clouds and the frustration of it where the enemy is lying, saying that they're going to perish. Father, I pray that over, Lord, the course of time, you would reveal to them more and more and more that they can trust in you, that you only want good things. But in this life there is troubles and there is tribulation, and, and Lord, it's not that you, you cause those things. You don't but you do use them. You use them to build us and to build our character and build our hope and build our faith that we would learn to fully come to that place where we would curl up on your lap and receive your love for us. And I want to just pray this morning, Lord, for those that are here that are in trials right now. That, Father, no matter where they're walking now in faith, if it be a little unstable right now, that, Father, that you would build trust in them and out of that hope and out of that faith and out of that victory. And I commit them to you now. I want to pray, if I could, just pray for you specifically. If you're here this morning, I mean, you know you are in the clouds right now. Could be relationally, medically, for some reason, uh, just circumstances in your life. You need God to get you out of this. And if that's you, I just ask you just to raise your hand where you are. And uh, I just ask that you just receive this now. Lord, I thank you for this church, this family. I thank you this is a place of transparency and authenticity you know, and openness and honesty. 
a place where you can come and really be real. Father, that's a great gift. And so, Lord, I thank you for these that would honestly say they, they're in that place right now. I pray that you would come upon them by the presence of your Spirit and put in them a tangible love and a, a special gift of faith to trust you and believe you. That you knew them from the foundations of the earth. That they're here because you, you always loved them and always wanted them here. And that if they're here, Lord, you have only good plans for them. I pray that the trial that they're in would be used for your glory. That it would become a testimony later of your faithfulness to them. And that through that, Lord, you would bring, you would break them out of the bottom of this cloud into the light again, into the truth. And Lord, even to the point they wouldn't even mind doing it again because of the, of, of the things that were gained, that you would build their character, their perseverance, and their endurance their hope, and their faith. Father, I commit these problems to you, this tribulation, and I ask for a supernatural move of your spirit around their lives that the enemy would have no way in lying to them, that they're believing a lie when they're believing that you, Lord, are faithful. Give them clear eyes to see. Let them know they're loved. I pray that they would literally sense and feel the warmth of your presence. I pray that you would use this trial in their life for the cause of the kingdom and for all those that know them all those that surround them, that their testimony of victory would bring others to know you as well, even as Max the cat brought Pat the cat to the Father's lap. Let them be an evangelist, Lord, proclaiming that you are a good God. I thank you, Lord, for all you're doing in our lives, through the good times and the bad times, the hills and the valleys, through the sunshine of the summer and the darkness of the fall. Bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, God bless you guys. If you need more prayer, I, I, I'm sure there's folks here that love to spend some time with you and pray with you uh, before you leave today. I it's been a privilege being with you.